The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 177 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show of my own, that of my president or past employers. I'll never knowingly disclose any sensitive intelligence that I'm privileged to as a result of my current employment. And I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technologies and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, last week we had General Manager of the AmericasForFindings.co, David Review, join me on the show. We discussed how people are getting hired for jobs that they have done and not the job that they actually want. David also unpacked the challenges in the third-party risk and supply chain space and how the network effect could be the answer. We finished up the show by David sharing his opinion on the future of cybersecurity industry and how companies will protect themselves. All this and much, much more on episode number 176 of Task Force 7 Radio. If you missed last week's episode, folks, don't sweat it. We're on at least 11 different playback mediums. You can find us everywhere, folks. That's episode number 176, getting hired for the job you want, not the job you have on last week's episode of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, folks, I'm super excited for our guest tonight. We have the global SVP of channels and alliances at AppGate, Tina Gravel, on the show tonight, folks. Tina is a sought after for her ability to take complex cybersecurity topics and make them accessible to those who are not cybersecurity experts. A highly rated public speaker, she often talks about memorable and sparked with human humor and personal stories. Tina's special focus is on the area of cloud security and zero trust, but her true passion is around making sure that more women gravitate to cybersecurity as a career. Tina is a published author and has written numerous publications about the need for more women in cybersecurity fields to better combat cybercrime. With over 27 years of experience in the IT outsourcing, cloud data center security, and SaaS industries, Tina as currently is the SVP of Global Channels and Alliances with AppGate, the leader in security and analytics products and services of Zero Trust. Prior to AppGate, Tina was an SVP of Global Channels and Strategic Alliance with Sextera and earlier Cryptzone, a Sextera business. Before joining Cryptzone, Tina held the role of general manager and vice president for Dimensions Data Cloud Service Business in the Americas. She also served as vice president of worldwide sales and marketing at Nervonix, the leading uh, company sales and marketing and indirect channel programs. She was a member of the original management team at Terramark, a Verizon company, where she held several leadership roles over 14 years including VP of Global Channels and Alliances, Managing Partner for IT Outsourcing Business, and Vice President of Terramark Central Region Sales and Operations. Her guidance helped the company take go from 400,000 annual sales in 1999 to the acquisition of Verizon for $1.4 billion in 2010. Tina also gained additional sales experience in senior positions at leading IT companies, including NetGravity, now owned by Google, SaaS, Sybase, now owned by SAP, and CSC. 
Tina's also worked at independent consultant, helping startup technology companies increase their revenue, monetize their intellectual property assets, and obtain funding. Tina has served on numerous boards, including Illinois Technology Association, Channel Partners Online, cloudgirls.org, Alliance of Channel Women, Women in Alliances, and is the co-founder of Women of AppGate. She was the 2020 Top 50 Women in Technology Award Magazine, 2020 Women to Follow in Cybersecurity on Twitter by Cybersecurity Ventures, and a whole host of other accolades. It's my pleasure to introduce Global SVP Channels and Alliances at AppGate, Tina Gravel. Tina, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, Andy. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. Super cool. I'm glad you're here. I'm so, I'm so shocked our paths never crossed when we were at uh, Verizon and Terramark. But uh, look, I'm glad, we're, I'm glad they've crossed now. Um, can, do me a favor for the audience. Can you, you have such an interesting background. you mind sharing a little bit about your background and your journey for the audience? Not at all. I, I started uh, very early on thinking that I was going to be a lawyer, running out of money and desire to be in school and uh, becoming a, a salesperson um, selling plastic bags. I realized I didn't want to sell anything that was consumer related. And uh, I, I was lucky enough to be hired by McDonnell Douglas under EEOC guidelines. Um, that gave me the technical training they taught us to program. And uh, coding back then, of course, was a uh, basic and uh, and, um, you know, <laughs> assembler. Um, but uh, that, that started me on my journey in IT. And um, I've pretty much been lucky enough to hit every good trend that's come along, client server and, and Microsoft when it was big and Microsoft hosting when I was with Data Return, which be- became Terramark, which became Verizon, as you mentioned. And, uh, oh, goodness, all over the place. But um, when... Terramark was sold to Verizon, the principals, uh, Manny Medina and team, uh, went about to starting a fund and they bought Cryptzone, um, which, which was called AppGate in Sweden. They took it off the Swedish stock exchange. It was a security company. And having been in uh, the, the process of, of running a company that did outsourcing, they, they realized what a boon and what a help uh, this product could be for somebody that wanted to do that, protecting, you know, secure access and, and being able to audit everything that anybody ever did uh, from the back end and the front end um, when you're working with third parties. So, so that became the security, the first security company that, um, that they bought and, or maybe the second and along about that time, I was I was doing something else, and they began to ask me to come back and and work for them, and and help them with this company called Cryptzone. Cryptzone uh, was bought by Sixtera. We we actually acquired fifty seven data centers out of CenturyLink. We decided we were going to be the world's largest and most secure infrastructure company, which. I thought was a fantastic idea, but it wasn't exactly well-received um, by the market. They still wanted to buy data center services separately. Then they wanted to buy software services uh, for security separately. And so we split in on one one twenty, and I went to AppGate uh, to help run AppGate. And uh, 
the Sixterra folks are doing their thing, but we're, we're cousins when we're very happy to help each other. But that's how I got into security. And that was about uh, cybersecurity. That was about six years ago. Prior to that, I was known as being uh, a pioneer in cloud computing. And uh, quite honestly, uh, that background really served me poorly for, for cybersecurity, I must say, because it was all about, you know, just the VPN, maybe the firewall, IPS, you know, IDS. It wasn't, there, it wasn't as deep as I really needed to go. And so um, it makes me very, very empathetic for anybody coming into cybersecurity now, my partners, uh, when they have to learn we have a glossary, you know, because we have so many, we have, well, we have so many acronyms that no one else uses, right? And uh, DLP, NAC, you know, all of these things. I can remember my first sales call and what a horrifying experience that was, uh, my first Cryptzone sales call. So, but fortunately, over six years, I, I have a, a natural curiosity and, and I was heads down to learn and, and uh, uh, come a long way. But that's, that's the story, Andy. So there you go. I love it. So look, you're a successful woman in this space. You know, I know you advocate for, for women in tech. You know, why, why aren't there, like, what are the barriers? Like, why aren't there more women in cybersecurity today? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. And I don't think that it's just limited to cybersecurity. I think if we, if we look at the kind of macro view of women in tech, there's, there's all kinds of things that we know about, right? There's the, the first is the, this sort of birds of a feather thing, um, you know, they, once you get into, get out of college and you start looking for a job and to get hired, many, many men hire people they know or they've worked with or whatever. And if they haven't been in an engineering class with you, or if they haven't worked with you prior before, or if you, if you don't seem like someone they would hang out with, you know, they, they automatically have a bias they don't even realize they have. And by the way, women have biases too. This isn't a slam on men, all right? This is just the way things are. Uh, the other thing that happens is that uh, men, boys play with games earlier often and uh, girls start to play with games and they feel intimidated because they're just not as good at it. And so they, they, they kind of give up around middle school time and they start thinking, they don't want to do that sort of thing for a living. And so, you know, we have a supply chain issue. If you really look at it, around long around uh, middle school, if we don't start working on these girls, by the time they get to college, they're just not even interested in pursuing, you know, the technical uh, pursuits. So we hear a lot about this, this sort of supply chain issue. And then I just think there's just a... Uh, if you look at, at women that do get into cybersecurity, they're, they don't see enough women and it's, it can be a lonely uh, time for them. And um, many companies don't understand that, uh, that, that it is lonely and that they need fellowship and that they need somebody to be there for them. They also don't see women at a high level in cybersecurity, so they wonder how they'll ever get ahead. There's just all kinds of things that um, that overall women in tech uh, and women in cybersecurity are, are 
are, you know, kind of fighting against. But, but I think, you know, if we can fix the supply chain a bit, and I'm a big advocate of, of, of returnees to work, of returnships, if you will, taking women that perhaps were raising children that, that really want to work and, and training them uh, and, and then letting them loose. And some of them are amazing. I mean, because think about it for a second. They are, they are so excited to work. Number one, they're as loyal as loyal can be. They are collaborative. They've been running a household for how long? Um, they want to be on a team. Um, they're used to being, um, how do I say this in a way that's politically correct? But they're, they're used to being, you know, with kids and things. They're used to being, you know, kind of um, uh, not suspicious, but just used to picking up on clues and, and finding <laughs> things. They're, they're, they could be eth- wonderful ethical hackers. I mean, unbelievable. I have seen this happen now, and I, I, it just blows me away why more companies aren't going after these women because it's it, it seems to me like a no-brainer they they just become fabulous so so there's a lot we can do uh long answer to a short question andy i apologize but uh, it's a passion of mine so so listen i have three young daughters right you were a middle schooler at one point right what what advice like what was going through your mind about tech like when you were in middle school well i'm um much older than you are. And um, I think there was a big machine in a room. Um, and then they said that was the computer and I didn't have anything to do with it. And then the rest of the time I might've been using the mimeograph machine that, <laughs> you, 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 that these, these things that we didn't really have copiers. We didn't. So in middle school, I wasn't thinking about anything in high school. I was hardly thinking about anything. Um, and I think, I, I think it's even worse today. But what I would like to say is that we can make it more fun and get the stigma out of it by, by um, you know, making it more friendly to women. Maybe making the games have things that 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 women like. And I'm not going to just generalize here, but I, but I have to. Okay, I'll give you an example. I had a call. It was probably a year ago. I have a friend who's in who's in um, tech, and he said, "You know, I'd like you to come talk to my daughters. Uh, they need to see you." And I said, "Well, why?" Well, you're pretty, and you're into fashion, and they just need to see that a woman like you is in tech. And I said, "Well, that sounds ridiculous to me. All right, what? What?" what? Well, they're in robotics, but they're starting to like boys and they're starting to see these girls on Instagram and they're starting to think that tech isn't cool. They don't understand that, you know, that tech is still cool and, you know, you could do a lot for me to help me at the dinner table. And I said, well, of course I'll have dinner with you. But, you know, it's it's something that is very hard to articulate what's happening, but um you know, Instagram and social media has not helped us in this way as much as we would like to think it has. Um, seeing a guy in a hoodie and thinking that's what cybersecurity is, 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 it's not 
what we they need to see, if you know what I mean. I, I do. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over the, as much as I wear them, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I wear them all the time because my, I'm, in a, I'm in a house with a lot of windows and it gets colder than you know what around here. So I, I'm actually in them more than I care to admit. <laughs> Super funny. So, hey, listen, what, what, like, are there any cool, you know, programs out there that you're, you're a part of or you would recommend for, for, for women right now? Well, there's, there's a lot of them and, and I'm a member of many of them. Um, you know, there's, you know, women in technology, there's uh, girls who code, there's, um, you know, there's another one called aspire to steam there. There are so many. What I would say is that the best thing would be to find a group that is local. If you can find a, a local or regional group, so that they can go to the meetings, they can meet some of the women and um, not have it be all online uh, because we are coming out of this COVID thing and we're, all, we're getting vaccinated, people are getting together and we're also hungry for this connection. They should see these, these women. I think that what's happening now is people are working hard to have speakers you know, like me and, and, and say Shira Rubinoff and others that, you know, that, that don't, that don't look like guys in hoodies. And um, they're working hard to make sure that, that there's some sort of a way to attract these young girls. And I've been where they've had games and they've had all kinds of things that, you know, um, one, a couple of the women in technology meetings have been great, you know, where you go in and you actually, um, I actually was able to make a purse that lit up, you know, that was through coding. It was, you know, they had all kinds of like little exercises and things for the kids. It was, it was awesome. But yes, I would, uh, there's so, there's so many, which is, which is awesome. I think I would look for one locally. You can start nationally and then look for a local chapter, but, but there are, there are, you know, many and anybody that would be interested in that, I'd have them, you know, if they can't find it, come to me and I'll help them. You know, I'm easy to find. I appreciate the offer. All right, folks, we're going to transition to a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't get to, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors. Then we'll be right back with Global SVP Channels and Alliances at AppGate, Tina Gravel. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization 
organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with global SVP channels and, and alliances at AppGate, Tina Gravel. So, Tina, you, you know, we mentioned you, uh, you know, we have a bunch of acronyms in the first segment, DLP, NAC. There's another one, VPN, right? And uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, killing the VPN, what are bad about VPNs, and um, why did they work for so many years? Well, it's, it's so funny that you say VPN the VPN because that was one of the first technologies that I did, did understand that people associated with security, but, you know, Andy, the, the fact is that, uh, and, and some will disagree with me on this, but it's, it's really true. This technology VPN technology was really never designed to be a security tool. It was network access. Okay. It was always supposed to be network access and what do you think happened when we all went home to work? You know, um, the network access tools that were more than 25 years old, by the way, uh, as old as our, uh, you know, that it'd be like using a Palm Pilot today instead of a smartphone, right? <laughs> These tools failed. You know, we, we would hear stories of, of companies having to schedule Okay, sales, you can use the VPN technology at 10 and ops, you can use it at 11. And uh, by the way, uh, you guys in uh, customer service, you can use it at, at one. I mean, crazy things like that because these tools weren't scaling. Then the government, uh, I believe around March 13th of 2020, put out an advisory saying VPNs uh, were were the worst possible thing you could be using as far as getting hacked. Um, and I remember at that point getting a call from, from an agent who said, 
Tina, uh, you talked to me about a VPN thing a few years ago that you used to sell. Like Carsey called it a VPN thing, right? And I said, uh, he said, do you still have it? And I said, well, f- well, first of all, it's, it's, it's not a VPN, but it can certainly replace a VPN with regard to secure access. It uses zero trust principles. And, you know, if I could see his face, I would have seen him glaze over because he was a telco agent and not somebody that was educated in any of these things that we get educated in, in cybersecurity. But he said, well, if you've got it, I need to talk to you right away because I've got a customer that's out there dying and he needs help immediately and he needs to replace his VPN. So that was early March. By mid-April, the the phone was ringing off the hook to replace VPNs. That became a big use case for us and it continues to this day. Uh, while our product is is a cybersecurity tool and does so much more than that, the fact is that because of work from home, everybody needed it. Everybody needed it. And um, it was the first line of defense. If you had people coming in from all over the place and they were using their own devices, et cetera, uh, because the VPNs weren't hacking it. So to answer your question, that's why we say kill the VPN because, you know, we're talking about old tech that was never designed to do what we're trying to make it do now. It's not bad technology. It's just don't use it for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of that, right? You know, bolting things on or reusing with the trying try to make it a security tool. So so let's switch gears then to kind of where where the you know, large lot of investments are happening in, in the zero trust space today. Um, that's kind of the, you know, obviously the latest, you know, identity methodology that, you know, mindset, if you will, around trying to get companies ready for zero trust and a lot of tech coming out around zero trust. Um, why is that such a big deal these days? And why wasn't popular 10 years ago? Well, you know, I I wish I joined uh, CryptZone in 2015, and I sure as heck wish it was popular back then. It took a lot of missionary work to get people to listen to me back then. I can remember going to AWS and trying to talk about the software-defined perimeter and having, you know, the Cloud Security Alliance came up with and having them glaze over back then. So, uh, but now they embrace it. So, you know, a lot has changed. But I think I think the, the cloud has done a lot for zero trust. When you think about the fact that everything is network enabled, we have zero, tr- you know, we have uh, software as a service, we have, you know, everything is on the cloud, your data is not within the four walls it used to be. You can't automatically trust someone because they work for you and they might be on your WAN because credentials are getting stolen all the time. So the first tenets of zero trust, which, by the way, is a methodology. It's not really uh, in and of itself a solution, as you know. It's a, it's a methodology of tools and techniques that you can use in, in which to better uh, arm yourself against the nefarious folks out there. And, you know, one of the things is that you, you know, you verify then trust. So, you know, instead of the VPN, just, oh, good IP address, come on in. It's more like, oh, this is Tina. 
is she in the right IP at the right IP address as no, you know, she normally is. There's a little intelligence there, right? Is she, is she, she got the right antivirus software? Is she, you know, you're asking a lot of contextual crap, at least with our tool anyway, there's, there's several out there, but with ours, you know, you're, you can put in whatever parameters you want. Uh, government uses some biometrics things. I mean, and then only then, are you allowed to come in? And so at that point, we're, we're, we're doing a little better job to make sure that Tina is who she says she is and not somebody saying that they're Tina, right? So that, that's, that's one of the tenets of zero trust. And then the other one that, you know, sort of I live with daily is this uh, principle of least privilege, so with the VPN, and let's pick on the VPN again, but it could be any tool, right? When you let someone in to your network and you give them access to everything, you automatically open up yourself to a, a, a lot more trouble than, than you need to have. So imagine now that I'm verified and I'm checked, that I'm only allowed to see the things that I'm allowed to see, that I'm allowed to work on. You know, I happen to be in sales and marketing, right? So why should I be looking at the financial software? Right? There, well, there's no point in that, right? Why should I be looking at things that, that I don't need to do my job? So on the, the off chance that someone still gets in, they can only see, let's say, Salesforce or something else. And then they can't move laterally because they can't see anything else. These are the kinds of tools that will eliminate lots of the breaches that we're hearing about. Nobody's lying in wait because as soon as I'm done with my work, by the way, that connection is cut. It is gone. And so, you know, then I have to go back and I get reconnected if I go back to work on the same thing. But it's it's an instantaneous connection, but the fact is I can't just sit there and mosey along and hope that I'm going to see something else. So there's many other tenants of zero trust that um, that are out there, and this has all come about, I believe, because the because the networks are like Swiss cheese these days, right? They are they are they are so many points of attack surface, and then additionally. You know, our world has changed and it's so much easier for people to get our credentials that uh, that these these tenants make perfect sense. And so to put these tools in and these processes to protect ourselves makes uh, makes makes life uh, better, you know, for for most of us in companies. Yes. So you talked a little bit about the you know, kind of allow all mentality, right? You connect it years ago, let it sit and forget it. Um, but what do you, you know, is that the biggest inhibitor or what do, what do you think the biggest inhibitors to companies embracing zero trust are or kind of moving to that least privilege and deny all mentality uh, versus allow all? Because they look at it and they say, I've got 30,000 employees, how on earth and I'm, am I going to implement this thing? Or how on earth, it's too much. How will I ever get there? They really don't understand that you can start with one group using Active Directory, connect it up to a tool, and you've got the secure access, you know, done. 
right? They they don't understand that there's simplicity to it if you if you handle it properly. That you don't have to you don't have to boil the ocean. That's I think an inhibitor. The other inhibitor is you go to RSA and you when when we could right last year was the last trip that I took as a uh, as a cyber executive to speak. <laughs> and uh, I remember going there and saying, well, it's no wonder these customers are confused. Look at the noise. Everybody says there's zero trust. Everybody says, you know, they're starting to say sassy now, which is another one. And, um, you know, where's the, where's the intelligence in all of this? And where are the folks to help them understand what will work together, what makes sense? I think it becomes very daunting, especially for a smaller company that may not be able to afford folks to help them. Uh, so, but, but the main thing is that I, I believe that they think when they read about zero trust, they think they have to do it all to do it right. And um, little bites, you know, what, what, what's the analogy? You don't have to eat the whole elephant. That's a terrible analogy. I love animals. But the fact is that you don't have to do it all at once to be to be effective. If you get your secure access right, that's that's a big piece. And then then you can start working on the least privilege. But if you've got Active Directory set up, some of that's already in there, right? I mean, you don't you can detach to something you already have. You, yeah. You know, it's it's just not as hard as as some would want you to believe. And I just wonder if some of these vendors of yesteryear that were strong providers of network access and security tools, maybe maybe that's the FUD they're putting out because they don't have something. I don't know. I, I hate to think that uh, that they're making it harder, but but that's their job, right? Their job is to create FUD for the new the new things that they don't have and. That could be happening too, Andy. I don't know. Well, it's also challenging for those companies that you know have either have long sales cycles or have to wait for the, the culture of companies to shift, and you know yes. they also can't pivot on their roadmaps either, right? Really quickly. So That's it's right. very interesting how some you know the, the pace at which technology is changing and the needs of the enterprise are evolving faster than most companies' product roadmaps, investment, you know can fund them to pivot and stay relevant. And so you kind of always have this feel like a lag between some of the technology that is being built, you know, uh, especially when there's an acquisition and the company that acquires the tech doesn't have the same vision as maybe it was truly, you know, built for. So there's a whole bunch of factors. Um, but you did mention SASE. I'd love to kind of dive into that a little bit, you know, for the audience, just, you know, what is it? Where is it headed? Um, what's, what, what do you see happening there? Secure access, service edge. Um, you know, putting security into the network, everybody thinks that, uh, you know, the further, the closer to the edge that we get with security, the better it is and all of that. Um, right now, there's nobody that has any products that do all of that. Okay. And so, there is, if you think there's FUD and confusion with zero trust, just show up at a couple of sassy meetings. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you know, we have something, you know, we say, look, we do zero trust network access. This is what we do well. And it does fit the sassy model. But we're also very clear to say, yes, we do not have a, um, we don't have, a, a, you know, an NSD WAN network. 
we do not have some of these other things. And so, you know, we're, we partner up with others. We're, we're fortunate enough to have done business with CenturyLink uh, enough to, to partner with them on some of this and to par- partner with McAfee on some tools. We, we have some great alliance partners where we can address some of this, but, uh, but the confusion is rampant and it's, it's worse with, with Sassy than it is with zero trust. Uh, but all, all I can tell you is that um, more to follow. We, we actually have some things coming that, that should help with the confusion. Because I think that customers are hungry for plain speaking, authentic, real companies that show up and say, look, I, I can't do all of this. And I'm never going to tell you that I'm going to. But here's what I can do, and here's how it's going to help you. And and enough of this. Oh, I'm sassy. Yeah, it just sounds. It sounds like. Uh, well, it sounds a ter- It's like first of all, it's a terrible acronym for for grownups to use. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It just is. Unless you're unless you're you know unless you're Lizzo and you're singing a song. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. But anyway. Well, look, I, just, I, I, I really want to, uh, you know, you talked about traveling last time you've been on the road was, you know, was RSA. Um, that's been a huge impact. And, I, and, and in the next segment, I definitely want to dive into, you know, your, the book you were involved with. But before we go to break, you know, kind of how, how has the impact, the pandemic kind of impacted you? And, um, you know, you're eager to get back out on the road. I started traveling again in January with a double mask, some sort of a plastic shield over my eyes. The first time I went, I actually had ski goggles on. And some guy asked me when I was going skiing, I I think he had had too much to drink. And since we were going through Denver, he figured I must be going skiing. But, you know, I don't care what I look like. I've been very happy with my experience traveling, but I had to go. There's a level of wanderlust in me. Um, I have not traveled for business yet. Our, our company is now just saying, look, if you have to go, you know, we'll, uh, you know, just come to us and tell us the level at which you need to go and we'll, we'll help support you. But um, it's, I think we're going to see a new, a new horizon on, on this sort of business travel thing. And I can tell you for a fact that I'm not going to do it the way I used to do it, just despite my own love of going and being and um, because it wasn't good for me and it's not good for most people. Now that we know we can do business like this on Zoom, um, there is absolutely no reason why we have to kill ourselves to be in person. But in person has its place. And I'm going to do that. Absolutely. And I get my vaccine on 419, my first one, so I can't wait. That'll help. All right, folks, we had to take we had to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from our guest, SV Global SVP of Channels and Alliances at AppGate, Tina Gravel. You're listening to Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with global SVP channels and alliances at AppGate, Tina Gravel. So, Tina, before we went on break, we, you know, we, we touched a little bit upon, uh, you know, the pandemic and um, how we're, we're slowly, hopefully starting to turn a corner here soon. Um, and you had an opportunity to write a book this year about leading through the pandemic. Now, tell us about the book and how to come about. Well, it. I was I was able to do a chapter. I've always wanted to write a book and I've written blogs and articles and things and I was approached to write a chapter within an anthology of of 20, you know, total of 25 folks. And I remember interviewing with the woman to to write it and I said I don't know what I would write. This thing is really knocked this, this pandemic has really knocked me down. I I was very depressed, blah blah blah. She said, "Oh, well, that's a perfect story, you know, to tell. So uh, with some consternation, I mean, not, not everybody gets, writes a public story about how when they stopped traveling, they got depressed. Um, that's, a, that's a hard one because you never know what people are going to think uh, about mental illness. Um, and, uh, and I talk about how I, I saw a therapist and, and so forth. 
very personal story. Um, but it's been so rewarding. I'm so glad that I did it because not only did it show that, you know, you can you can do that and you can come out the other end um, in, in one piece and thrive, but it also showed that, um, you know, me- mental illness really should be treated like any other thing like any other thing. I mean, it's, to me, it's absurd that we even, that I even had to think about it and talk to my boss. And I remember him saying, you know, I remember saying, you know, what if something happens with AppGate, right? And I have to get another job and they, they've read the book and they see that I was depressed. What are they going to think? And I remember him saying, well, well, if they don't like it, do you really want to work there? And at that kind of place. And he was right on. Because yes, if a company can't think, if they if they're not open-minded enough to know that, you know, great executives are human beings that get ill in many different ways, and they can also get well in many different ways, then you know, shame on them. Uh, that's not the kind of company for me. So it's a very personal story, and um, and it's I've gotten a lot of feedback, and and it's helping people, and I'm so grateful for that because because mental illness, um, especially what I went through, which I guess you could call um, you know a low grade depression, but enough of a depression to to have me seek outside help, uh, is the kind of thing that goes on all the time, all around us, and if not treated, can lead to, you know, worse depression, and then terrible things happening. And that shouldn't be, we shouldn't be embarrassed about it, we should, we should help each other get the help that uh, that's necessary. And it all came from uh, stopping traveling, believe it or not. Uh, When I started canceling, you know, I love to, one of my joys in life is public speaking and especially public speaking about women in tech. And I had a keynote scheduled and I had all kinds of things scheduled and they, they were getting canceled one by one. And it, it, um, it was, it was hard. And, and as these things canceled, I became more and more, you know, sad and down about it. And the next thing you know, I was having trouble getting out of bed. But the good that came out of it, and, and uh, which I will tell you, is that um, as a leader, I learned how to sit still and not rush from one place to another and listen better and be present. And that was the best gift that I could have given my team, especially through the pandemic. And what I will say is that we're a much better team for it, and they are much better off having had me as a leader during that time uh, than I ever could have been had I been continuing to travel. And physical health, mental health, you know, all of these things all got better. So go yeah. ahead. I, I, I love that you shared it, you know, great job putting it out there. I mean, I think obviously, you know, you're not alone. Um, but I think as a leader, it's always great for your people to see the human side of you. And then they just become so much more connected to you. Um, and, and for them that to then extend through the, you know, through the chapter in the book, and then to be able to, you know, to reach out to a much broader 
audience uh, on the topic, uh, I really commend you for getting out there and doing that. So, well, Tina, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for spending the, the time with us tonight. And uh, we'll, we'll have to have you back on soon and, and uh, hear a little bit more about um, you know, how you're feeling post-vaccination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would love to come back. Thank you so much for having me. This is a wonderful thing that you're doing with this show, Andy and George. Take care. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, folks, I'm going to bounce up on out of here. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.